Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. You've been in the podcast game almost three times as long as I've been in the podcast game. Since 2016, you run the podcast, uh, the One You Feed podcast, right? Yep, yep. All right, I but do. besides that, you're also a coach. You've come over some some strong struggles. Something that I didn't, I wasn't even aware about. You were kind of telling me beforehand of of growing up and the things you've had to kind of get through. And let me let, let you tell your story. So let me let me let's can you please tell who you are. Sorry about that. Well, yeah, I am. Um, as you said, I'm the host of the One You Feed podcast. I'm also a behavioral coach and. Um, uh, a spiritual director. It's a, it's a, I do, I do spiritual teaching. I lead people through spiritual programs, um, as well as behavioral coaching, you know, goal oriented coaching. Uh, I host the podcast. We've been around, uh, I think six and a half years, uh, 350 episodes, maybe uh, a lot of episodes. So that's kind of who I am now over the course of my career. I've been a variety of different things from homeless heroin addict to, uh, software, uh, entrepreneur to working uh, software projects in really large corporations to owning a solar energy company. Um, so I've done a whole bunch of different things, but that's sort of the the high overview. Well, yeah. I mean, walk us through um, coming from that. What got you on the streets? Where'd you, where'd you grow up? What happened there? Yeah. Well, what got me on the streets was me. I certainly had, uh, I had advantages. It's not like I grew up on the streets. I grew up in a upper middle class or, you know, mid middle class to upper middle class home. Um, and like most kids, I started to experiment with drugs and alcohol. And, um, once I started, I just found that for whatever reasons I reacted differently to people. And so I started drinking and then I started doing other drugs. And by the time I was 24, I was a heroin addict and I was essentially homeless. I had uh, been kicked out of uh, both my parents' house, kicked out of all my friends' houses. And I was living in a van that I was, uh, uh, that a, I worked in a restaurant and they owned a van and I was able to sleep in the back of the van. They didn't know I was sleeping in it, but that's where I was sleeping until I was arrested for, um, grand theft, forgery, a bunch of other things. And, um, at that point decided, well, maybe I better, maybe I better get things back together. So I, um, I went into treatment. It wasn't the first time I had been in treatment, but it was the time that I went and, uh, it worked. And then I got into 12 step programs after that and, um, got sober and I stayed sober about eight years from there. Um, then I drank again, uh, for a few years. And even though I didn't burn the house down in the same way, I ended up, um, in, I ended up, it was a problem and I had to get sober from that. And I think I've been sober now completely for 14 years, 14 and a half years. So, I mean, I talked to a lot of people here that go through their struggles. I talk to people side here that go through their, their struggles too. And some struggles might seem bigger than them to compared to other people's ideas. When you're talking about that, you were basically a functional heroin addict, right? And cause you're still working still, right? Well, I was, I was working, but I would not consider me functional. I was working because it was the only way I had to get money to feed my habit. And I was also working and um, it, it allowed me to, 
to steal money and lot, lots of different things. I would not consider me functional. No. Okay. So, <laughs> so that was your driving force. That was kind of your driving force of working. Everything. It was everything. Now, yeah. From what I understand is when you go into rehab centers, that can be very difficult getting off, of, off a drug. So mm -hmm. it's also, you got to find your big why of what's pushing you to be sober, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so what was, yeah, that driving force for you? Well, I think my big force at that point, the big why was just that my life really sucked the way it okay. was. I mean, I finally hit the point where it was very clear to me that all I did was hustle around and, and work incredibly hard and commit crimes and do all this awful stuff just in order to take a drug that didn't even make me feel that good anymore. So, uh -huh. um, you know, I think that the two things get us, I, I, I often reflect on sobriety and people talk a lot about hitting a bottom and I yeah. certainly hit a bottom, right? I mean, I had been arrested and I was looking at going to jail for 40 or 50 years if I didn't turn my life around. So that was a pretty big motivating why. Yeah. So hitting a bottom was really important, but then also there has to be, I think, hope. And so being in, in rehab gave me hope. I started to see other people who had gotten sober and I looked at their lives and their lives looked way better than mine. And they were saying that they used to be like me. So I had that hope that like, oh, okay, well, maybe I can, I can be like that. So I think my, but my, my why was just to, to live something that resembled a normal life that wasn't just driven by this insatiable craving for more drugs that never goes away. And that you know, became more important to me than anything more important than my family, more important than my friends, more, you know, it more important than music, which had been my passion. You know, it became the driving force of everything I did. When do you think, cause I know a lot of people that go away from pain instead of go towards pleasure. When do you think you were able to change that mindset of actually building something towards pleasure? That's a really good question. And I don't know if I could point to, I think they, they happen, they happen a little simultaneously, right? On one hand, I'm moving away from pain. And on the other hand, I'm starting to feel better. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm starting to be like, oh, look, this, you know, this is a nice way to live. This is a better way to live. Oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm making friends. Oh, look, I feel good about myself, right? You know, I don't feel like a monster all the time. I, I don't feel out of control all the time. So I think they happen, in, they happen in parallel to a certain extent. But at a certain point, for most people, if they get, so, if they get sober and stay sober, at a certain point, the desire to use kind of goes away. And then at that point, it's very much about moving forward. It's very much about, okay, like, well, what is life about now? So it's many wins on many wins until you can get that that big win. And I think that's probably for a lot of business owners too, right? I mean, I know it's a, a some kind of similar correlation. Um, so getting back to your your game plan of of building a business. So you're you're sober now. Mm -hmm. How are you making money? What's what's that looking like? Yeah, well, when I got sober, I, you know, all I had done up to that point was work in restaurants and steal things. That was my life. Uh, that was my resume. And, um, but I stumbled into a, uh, 
a, a, an internet company in Columbus, Ohio in 1994, way, you know, several years before the internet hit called CompuServe. And they were one of the first online companies that existed. And that was very fortunate for me. I got a job in customer service and, um, and I just worked really hard. I suddenly was like, whoa, wait a second. I see some sort of path here. You know, I just, I had no hope for so long and I saw some sort of path. So I started working hard and then I got promoted and then, um, I left that job. I got laid off. They, they were bought by somebody else. And before long, I found myself in this small software startup company in, in Columbus, Ohio, in, in roles that I had no business having. Um, and it was kind of amazing because we got the company got $150 million in venture capital money in Columbus, Ohio in like 1998, which was, I mean, I don't know if any company in Columbus, Ohio has still ever gotten that kind of money to this day. Um, and I was on the ground floor of that. Now that company ultimately went bust, but it was just this incredible experience for me of like building a company and the excitement of that and the fun of that and the, the the joy of it and like i said i was in these roles that were i had no training for i'd never been to college i just i got kind of lucky in a lot of ways right i worked really hard but i also got really lucky and um so that kind of launched me into a career in the software business so when that company uh failed uh well i got out before it failed but but when it looked like it was going to, I found a job with another software, uh, small software startup company. And then I worked for another one after that. So I kind of went from these software startup companies and I would come in when there might be three or four or five people there. And, um, and I was good at do I'm, I've always been kind of a generalist. I've always been good at doing, um, give me almost anything and I can do it pretty well. Not yeah. great, not great, but pretty well. So I'd come into a company and it would be like, oh, we need somebody to lead our projects. So I would do that. And then we need to build a customer service team. So I would do that. Oh, wait, we have sales trouble. So I would go and work in sales. Oh, we need help, you know, building a software development team. So I was able to figure things out. But then after a certain point, once a company got to a certain size, you could hire somebody who was always better than me at any one of those particular things, you know? So, you know, once the company got to be a certain size and they're like, all right, we've got a customer service department, you could hire somebody who knew what they were doing. So, um, I did that cycle for a number of years. And then I, um, started doing some consulting work for, uh, large, very large software development projects for corporations. And I started a solar energy company in there. Well be, so before we get into the solar energy part of it, mm -hmm. what do you took away from startups, like the the positives, the negatives of a, a startup company? The positives, I think, are that um, you can do a lot. At least for me, I could do a lot of different things. I got a lot of broad experience. Um, that I that you don't get in a large company. In a large company, people are a lot more specialized. You've got your little area and you sort of stay in that area. In a software, in a small startup company, you're kind of all over the place, right? You're working very closely with the CEO. You're working very closely with, you know, with, with executive leadership, but you're also working very closely 
with customers. I got lots of different experience and I got experience doing things that in a large corporation, they'd be like, this guy does not have the qualifications to do this job. So I think that was, and, and it's, it's fast paced. It's exciting. Um, every day really matters. Um, so th those are some of the positives. Um, well, I, I, well, I mean, not, not necessarily uh, joining a small, a small a startup company, but meaning that you you started out with multiple different startups. One of them failed. I'm mm -hmm. guessing the other two succeeded. You could probably see in each of their systems or what they did good and what they did bad, the positives and negatives of each startup. Maybe because mm -hmm. maybe someone listening right now is thinking about building a startup, and they can kind of get the feel that you got. For, for like what yeah. what makes a software success uh, a, a startup successful yeah. versus one that's not oh yeah. boy there's there's so many factors so many factors that go into it i would say if i you know if i boiled down you know i could boil down several of the the lessons one of them was the first one was uh and a lot of startups can attest to this venture capital money is a blessing and a curse you know, we all think I want money, I need money, but, but that comes with certain problems. In our case, the VC, the, the VC came in and said, you guys aren't thinking big enough. You need to build this five times bigger than you're planning. Well, we went and built it five times bigger, but we didn't have five times the customers. We had customers about like what we thought. And now we had five X, the infrastructure which was unsupportable and the company just crumbled under it. But that's the venture capital model. Largely venture capitalists want big hits, big successes, you know? So, so the lesson I would take from that company was, well, okay, getting money is good and bad. Um, you know, another company, I would say what our biggest problem was, was that we, um, we were selling too far ahead of our ability to deliver. Now, I think you always do this in a startup company. You're always sort of saying, well, we can do this thing and your development of your products lagging behind that a little bit, right? That's just the way it works. But you have to be able to jump that gap when the time comes. You have to be able to, if somebody goes, okay, I want that thing, you got to be able to figure it out really quickly. I think we got too far ahead in one of the companies. We we were out there saying, we can do this, we can do this, we could do this. And we sold it really well. When it came time for the product to do that, we couldn't get it there fast enough. And so we had a lot of disillusionment among really big, important customers. I, if I had to say if there was any one main thing, that was the case. We, we, we got that ratio wrong. Um, the other company went on and succeeded. The other company was much slower, much steadier. We took on venture money, um, but not a ton of it. And um, the, the founders were just a little bit more consistent, slow and steady. And, um, they, they did it. We did a good job in that organization of balancing in every startup. You, you sort of are, you're having to adjust what you do based on what the market's telling you. Right. And this company just found the way to sort of keep the existing business it had and do that, but also branch into new areas at a rate that, that worked. And then some of it is honestly just luck. You know, some of it is just luck. When did you start? What are the market conditions like? What, you know, my, my solar energy company, I failed largely. It was um, not that I didn't do things wrong. Cause of course I did, but the biggest factor was just timing. The timing was wrong. You know, had I been, had I been six months earlier, it would have been a different story. Had I been, 
you know, three years later, it would have been a different story, but I landed right in the wrong window. Do you think there's anything you could have done from all the knowledge you've accumulated and learned now that could have made it the right window? Yeah, well, maybe. I don't know in that situation. What I did with the solar energy company was I decided I was going to go into an industry that I knew nothing about, which just was not wise. <laughs> You know, in retrospect, I over I underestimated how long it was going to take us to get to market with what we had. I thought I would get there faster. And but I didn't know the business well enough. I didn't know the complications. I didn't know the ins and outs of it. Electricity is a pretty energy is a pretty highly regulated business. There's a lot that goes on in it. There's a lot of vested interest in the existing utility companies. So there were a lot of things I just didn't know that, um, you know, if I'd known them, we, if we'd known them, I might've been able to get there faster. But I think my, my core mistake was assuming that I could enter an industry that I knew nothing about. Um, that quickly, you know, I should have either said, I don't know enough about this. I'm not going to do that. Or I could have found if I'd done a better job of finding, um, finding partners early. I also didn't make great decisions personnel wise. In certain cases, I could have acted more decisively with certain personnel and maybe moved on more quickly that would have allowed me to get where we were going faster. So I made some, I made some decisions in that case. There's that old saying, uh, you know, hire slowly, fire quickly. Um, I didn't do that. I hired really quickly and did not get rid of people quickly if they weren't the right fit. Um, you know, we were small. It was a small, very personal sort of company. And, and you know, I didn't want to hurt people's feelings. Yeah, it's tough. I, the, um, so how long did your company last for, your solar panel, solar panel company? About five years. Okay. And when did you know that it was time to shut the doors? Well, what happened was solar energy, uh, still to this day, but particularly then was, and this was I, the company ended six years ago or so, particularly then, even more so, was very dependent upon particular government subsidy to make solar energy work, right? It was a developing industry. And so when I started the company, there was a set of laws in Ohio that governed how it was going to work. Well, what happened is that the legislature started changing those laws. And so the first time that it happened, we had about $10 million in signed contracts that went up in smoke because our investors saw what was happening with the laws in Ohio and pulled out. And so I was like, okay, that, that boy, that feels like I just got kicked in the, you know, what's, but okay, I'll, we'll bounce back. And so we did, and we got back and, and, and we, and then it happened again. And it was like another $15 million in contracts went away. And after that, I just said, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't have something so out of my control as the legislature like that, that I just can't do anything about and yet be so dependent on it. Um, you know, and I was ending up spending a lot of time doing things like like being part of industry groups and testifying in Senate hearings and lobbying and doing all this stuff that we needed, but also wasn't directly giving me revenue. So it just, so after the second time, I just lost my heart for it. I just, I, I just kind of had a broken heart. I just went, I just don't, I can't, I don't want to do this again. So, um, 
that's when I, I shut it down. And, and, um, you know, Ohio to this day is just not been what it could have been solar wise. Um, you know, not, that's not to say solar energy companies in Ohio haven't succeeded because some have, but they were trying to do something very different than we were. I was, I was, you know, we were, we were aiming, we had bigger, bigger aims and those aims just have not come to fruition in Ohio at this point, just for anybody really, just due to the, the, the state of the laws here in Ohio. So after you leave the solar panel company, you close the doors in there. What, what happens next? Um, I'm working as a, I'm working as a consultant in the software business for a large fortune, uh, 100 company on a, you know, some, some product software product management. And I'm, um, kind of just ruminating on what I want to do next. And that's when the idea for the podcast came about. And I just sort of, I just did it. I, I mean, I didn't really do it thinking I was starting a legitimate business so much as I thought, you know, it would be fun to interview people about what it means to live a good life. I'm reading these sort of spiritual self-help personal development books anyway. It might be good to interview people about them. It would be fun. It would be good for my mind state. You know, the solar energy company had failed. I was in a really bad marriage. I was just not in a great place. And so I thought, you know, it would be good for me to, to, to read all these books and interview these people. My best friend was an audio engineer and I was like, it would give, you know, he could do all the audio for it and we could spend more time together. And so I just sort of did it as a fun slash something that I felt like would be just good for me. It would keep my head in the right place. Um, and, and then it, you know, we started it and it, it went fairly, you know, it went fairly well. I mean, we, you know, Apple in our first year, Apple named us as one of the best podcasts of 2014, um, which was luck. I mean, you know, it was luck that Apple, I mean, I, when I say it was luck, I, I mean that, yes, you have to have a good podcast to do that, but there were lots of good podcasts. We just happened to get noticed by Apple. I don't know why, um, but they liked it. And so that gave us kind of a nice boost um, that sort of got us over the hump, at least as far as getting into the thousands of listeners, you know, per week kind of game, you know, instead of the hundred or, or, you know, and so then it was just sort of slow and steady growth for us. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of why I started it. And that's kind of what happened after the solar energy company. And after a certain amount of time of doing the podcast, um, I started to think, huh, maybe there is a, maybe there is a business here. You know, maybe there is, I loved it. I knew I loved it. I knew I loved the work I was doing. And so, um, over time I started to think, well, maybe this, maybe there's something here that, that I could do. But all that time I was still working in the software business. How did you figure out or who gave you the idea to figure out how to monetize your podcast to make it actually a sustainable career? Um, I just read things online. You know, I just, I listened to podcasts. I read things online. It be, you know, it became clear to me pretty quickly that, that if you were going to monetize a podcast, you were going to do it in one of a couple ways, right? You were either going to have ads, you were going to have donations, or you were going to use the podcast as a means to sell something else. Those are the primary, like those are the three primary ways. And so, um, and two of those sort of just landed on our door. We started to get brands saying, do you take sponsors? 
And they happened to be really well aligned with what we did. And so I said, sure, we do. And so the, our first our first ad revenue sort of came to us. Um, it was it was brands that were very well aligned, like publishers of the type of books that we authors that we interviewed or magazines that were in a similar niche. Um, and then I started to have listeners ask me, did I ever do one on one work with people? And I originally said, no, I don't really do that. And then at one point I thought, well, why not give it a try? And so I said, I'm going to start offering a little bit of coaching. And once I did it, even like two times, I went, oh, wait a second. I know how to do this because in 12-step programs, we have something called sponsors. You know, you have a sponsor and a sponsor is essentially a life coach. You know, it's like a sobriety life coach. And I was like, I've done this, you know, probably for a hundred people over the last, you know, 15 years. So I've done this a ton. I wasn't getting paid for it, but I've done it. So I immediately went, oh. I know how to coach. I think I'm pretty good at it. I like it. And so now we had these the we had these two two ways of making money. We had some podcast sponsorship, we had a little bit of coaching. And so then it became about okay, how do I develop those to the point that they can support me? And I was um you know, at that point in my career, I was a pretty well-paid software consultant. You know, I was I was making a, a pretty pretty fair amount of money and i had uh, a mortgage and i had uh kids i knew kids i had kids going off to college soon i i wasn't really in a position to be like well you know what i'm gonna throw it all in and go after the podcast and if i make you know twenty five thousand dollars a year that's fine right like i had a pretty big number i needed to be able to hit so it really took you know it was about four and a half years of of from the beginning of the podcast until i was able to make the break and go, okay, I think I can make this work, you know? And so when I did that, I had enough money saved up that I knew like, okay, I can pay, you know, X number of months. You know, I, it was an educated risk. It was still a risk because I walked away from, you know, a pretty fair amount of money. Um, but I, but I had a path in my mind that I could see that didn't seem unreasonable to getting back to something close to that. And, and it's been two and a half years and it's still going and we're doing, um, we're doing pretty well. I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not rich, but I am, um, I'm about where I was, you know, in a pretty well-paid software career and I'm doing something I love full time. And so it's, it's gone well. Is there anything that you've learned in the last couple of years that would have expedited the, the process of getting you to where you are now? I'm not really sure. I don't know. I, I think that sometimes things just take time. You know, sometime like our podcast growth has just been like this. It's just slow and steady. And I haven't been able to figure out how to ramp that hockey stick up right now. I do know like, okay, we've gotten better at marketing and that's, you know, we've been able to be a little bit more sophisticated in what we do. And, you know, so there's these tactics that we can implement, but I don't know that any of them would have dramatically accelerated the natural curve of increasing listeners. The more listeners we got, the more ad revenue we got, the more ad, the more listeners we got, the more coaching clients we could get. It was all driven off of that sort of increasing. Now we've gotten better at selling. We've gotten um, you know, what, one thing that we did do that might've accelerated us a little bit was, um, 
we joined a um, podcast network that started taking over selling our ads for us. Mm. And although we gave them 30%, we give them 30%, it's been a deal that's been every bit worth making because they have been really good at selling. They've been really consistent because they've got salespeople who that's their, they, they sell them or, you know, that's their living. And for me, I was more sporadic, you know, okay, maybe I'm selling more this month, but I'm not doing as much next month, you know? And then there was something to knowing that, okay, it's time to make the jump because I just knew that I was sort of maxed out doing a very demanding full-time job and trying to do the podcast and the coaching and all that, that I knew there was a point where I just needed more time. And the only way I was going to get that was to get out of the job. So I had to make the leap. And that that leap did accelerate our revenue a fair amount because I suddenly had more time. Well, okay. So everything goes in cycles, right? So you've already brought the idea that the startups, as you get bigger and bigger, you start leveraging and start bringing on uh, different people. So you have that in basically the, the paid ads you're getting. Is there another avenue that you look at leveraging out in the future? Yeah, I think where we are as a business right now is um, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching work and I am maxed out on that. Hmm. So I am at a place where I can't scale the business any further because I just don't have more hours of me. So what we have to figure out is we have to start to have product offerings that we can offer to people that don't involve me delivering them one-to-one. -one. So we've got to find a way to scale. And I knew we would get in this, I knew we would get in this spot because when I left, I knew I was going to need to do X amount of coaching in order to, to make a living. And, and, you know, I've got a, I've got a, uh, somebody who does a lot of marketing work for us. I've got an assistant. There's people who are getting paid in, in all this also beyond just me. And so I knew I was going to need to do a certain amount of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I knew what was going to happen was that was going to, that was going to make me very busy. Um, but I thought it's worth it to get out of the full-time job, um, which it was, but I'm, I'm hemmed in, in that I need to do a X amount of work every week in order to make our, our revenue numbers by coaching, but I also need more time to develop the next program. So we're sort of in that, we're in that, it's a little bit of a challenge and we're finding our way through it. We, we ran a group program. Um, we ran a group program um, earlier this year that was, did really well for us. And, you know, I was able to work directly with 60 people right at a time instead of one at a time um, for a very different price point, obviously per person. So that went well. So we'll run that again and we're just working on what those next programs are. So that's the next area of growth for us is to begin to create programs that people can consume, that they get value from that don't involve me in an hour to hour basis so that I sort of scale. So that's, that's the next challenge for the business. I think that's always the dance, right? Where you're trying to find, okay, well, you need the now business, but you also want to find a way to leverage your time and build something better in the future. So where do you uh, allocate your time? So that's definitely. Every, yeah. Yes. Every small organization has some degree of that. As I did, as I was, a con as I did consulting in the software business for years, I had the same problem. It was like, okay, I just sold a great deal. So gr wonderful. Now I've got to go deliver it. But while I'm delivering, I got to figure out how to sell the next one, <laughs> yeah. right? But I'm delivering full time and more. 
And so it's this, it's always that dance. People talk about it. You know, it was, I think, I don't know who coined this phrase, but it's a really useful idea is like, there's working in your business and there's working on your business, right? And you've got to be able to find some time to work on your business. If you're just always in it, you just, you stagnate, you stagnate, right? And, yeah. and that's the way individual, particularly individuals, you know, whether you're a small one or two person organization, that's where you, it's a problem that most people find. And, and so, you know, for us, it's just been about carving out a certain amount of time. It's not as much as we would like, but a certain amount of time and just consistently working on the other thing. So most of my time is going here, but I've got a little bit that's going to the new thing just consistently. One of my favorite phrases, I use it in the behavioral coaching I do. I use it in a lot of places is that little by little, a little becomes a lot. And that's the, that's the way it's gotta be for, for a lot. It's, you know, little by little, a little becomes a lot. It was the way we built the podcast business. It was just a, every week, each week, a new episode, put out a good episode, put out a good episode week after week. We've had an episode out every week for, I don't know, six and a half years. We haven't missed a week. You know, it's just been that steady boom, 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 one after the other. And slowly, slowly it builds, you know? Yeah, and so that's, yeah. I still agree. I mean, with all the, with all the knowledge and everything you've accumulated over the years, what kind of advice, if you could talk to your younger self, that, that person, that 24 year old, um, that was in kind of a bad place, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I think the 24 year old finally figured it out and, and did a good job. I think the, the Ben, the, the advice I would give my younger self in general, if I had to just give him one piece of advice, it would be to relax and enjoy it all a little bit. <laughs> like, you know, just take it easy. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. It's gonna, you know, like just relax a little and enjoy, enjoy the ride. Uh, a little bit more if I could only give one piece of overall advice. If I was going to give one piece of business advice, it might be the one I just gave, which is just find your thing that you want to do and do it a little bit. I, I got, when I was younger, I got really caught up in the dichotomy that I think a lot of people find themselves in. And it was this idea that either I worked a full-time job for somebody else and I let dreams kind of die or I took some giant plunge off the deep end and tried to build my own thing, which felt terrifying and reckless. And I think a lot of people, they, those are the two options they see. And what I wish I had seen more uh, that I had seen earlier was you can, you can keep doing the job you've got to do, but you've got time. There is time. If you use that time well, you could start building your thing on the side and little by little, a little will become a lot. And I could have done that. Um, I could have started doing that when I was younger, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't really start that. I started that with the solar energy company when I was, um, I don't know how old was I when I did that. So I was 38, maybe, hmm. maybe a little older. Right. So I didn't finally j launch my own thing until I was, until I was, you know, uh, much older. And so I wish that when I had more of that youthful energy, <laughs> I had, I had just done a little bit at a time, little by little. And I would tell my younger self, invest in your 401k for crying out loud. 
I know it's what I know it's what everybody says, but it's the right thing to do. Do it. Because that yeah. follows the same principle. Little by little, a little becomes a lot. Exponential growth right there. It's, um yeah. It's yeah. The um well thank you, Eric, for for being on the podcast. I mean, um, I, I appreciate you being on here. If someone's looking to find your podcast, uh, some of your coaching. What are some of the best platforms for them to, to reach out to you? Yeah, the best thing is just to go to our website, which is oneufeed.net. It's all spelled out, O-N-E-Y-O-U-F-E-E-D.net. And we're also on um, you know, all the popular social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, search for the One You Feed, you'll find us. And in the comments, sec- I mean, in the description, we'll have all the, the links there too. So if anyone's listening right now on YouTube or listening on Apple, Google Play, any of those kind of platforms, you'll see in the description. And uh, yeah, thank you again, Eric, for being on the, the platform. And hopefully everyone listening got some, some great nuggets right there. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you end and enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.